Good morning. Welcome to Rimrock Church. What a beautiful day, huh? Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day and all these beautiful people. Hey, I have something special to start the service with you guys. You know, we are so blessed to have uh, Ken Pierce up on uh, in the computer and doing the overhead words. Uh, overhead, that shows how old, old I am. Uh, but, and Matt Joyce on sound, they are such a blessing. But it's Matt's birthday today, so don't you think we ought to sing him happy birthday, right? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Matt. Happy birthday to you. Amen. And thank you for all you do, brother. Yeah. 
dear God, we thank you for King of Heaven. Come, King of Heaven. King of Heaven, come now. King of Heaven, come now. Let your glory reign, shining like a day. King of heaven is good this morning.
open the door you never know. Hey, would you look around, find someone you don't know, and introduce yourself? Baker. I'm on the, uh, the welcome team and the security team, and today I'll be doing announcements. So I used to be a teacher for a living, and it's been a while since I've had a captive audience. So Nick, I'll try and leave you a little time. Um, thanks for coming. Um, if, you're, if you're new to Rimrock, if you're a visitor today, please stop in the lobby, or I'm sorry, please fill out the card in the seat in front of you seat back in front of you and stop in the lobby. We have a small gift for you. Uh, we'd love to have you uh, do that. And then also, uh, there, if, you're learning, if you want to learn more about being a member of Rimrock, there's a community, community membership class starting today, February 19th and 26th. 
and it's open to everyone. So uh, join us in the gathering place across from the nursery. Say again? 1030. 10.30. Thanks, Tom. Maybe you should be doing it. <laughs> okay, so the last thing is the uh, Rimrock safety team. So uh, how many people knew we had a, a safety team here at Rimrock? Good for you. Wow. So um, then this will be a repeat for you. If you if you read it in the bulletin or if you read the email that came out this week, there's a, a nice little write-up in there. And um, I, I, you know, I just want to tell you a little bit about what we do. And, and, and so what we're really focused on is the safety of, of you, of the people that are, are here uh, on Sunday mornings, but also on Wednesday nights and, and whenever there's an event here. We try and put someone here who's just... Um, an, an extra pair of eyes and ears and, and able to help out. Um, it's, there's nothing, you know, exotic about being on the safety team, and so I'm really looking for more people to join. And um, if you read what the safety team does, uh, again, you, you don't need to be in your mid-20s. You don't need to be ready to run a marathon. Um, you just need to have a heart of service and be willing to make sure that the people here uh, at Rimrock are as safe and secure as they can be uh, each and every time we meet. Uh, I'll, I'll just give you a, a heads up in the spring. We're going to plan a uh, fire drill. Uh, so uh, start thinking about that. You've only got a few months. Uh, but but we, we, wanted, we wanted just to, to us to start thinking about how if we had to get out of the building, how we do that. And so that's, that's part of what the safety team does. And so uh, if, you've, if you've got any interest at all in doing that, uh, pr please prayerfully think about it and either talk to one of us on the safety team in the lobby or there's an email in the bulletin and you can just shoot us an email and we'll get in touch with you. So, thanks a lot. I think we should give those guys and gals a hand. <laughs> Huge service. You know, it never occurs to me when I show up that it's safe because there's people looking out for us, amen. So we're all so safe in your arms, Jesus. So I just need to get rid of this one thing here.
understand it at the time when you went to the cross, Lord, and really sometimes we still don't. Uh, but God, we thank you for that sacrifice, for your love for us that sponsored your death on the cross and then your beautiful resurrection. And because you're raised, God, we know that we will be raised with you. Anybody who surrenders their life to you, God, has that eternal blessed hope. 
thank you. And when there we are there with you, Jesus, we're going to sing something like this. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of your mercy and love at the feet of Jesus we
God, as Nick comes up, Lord, we are desperate to hear from you, Lord, because you are the air we breathe. Your spirit living in us, God, is what gives us life. Jesus said you came to give us life and life more abundantly. And God, we receive that right now as Nick comes up and speaks. Uh, Lord, speak to our hearts. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Bob came up and gave an announcement about the safety team, and he started talking about fire and fire drills. Anybody get a little anxious? So we kept saying safety, 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 but I kept getting a little bit more uh, anxious, right? And I think that is a perfect segue to preaching on Revelation. So the whole point is fire in here, and he's trying to get us out safely, right? So Bob, that'll preach right there. Um, 
We are in the book of Revelation. We are in chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11 today. So this is going to take a ton of focus and a ton of work from me and of you. And so before I dive into this, uh, let me just say that it's, it's incredible to uh, have your mind set on the things of God and to desire to, be, uh, to see Jesus more clearly, to see the gospel uh, in its fullest sense. And really, I'm, I'm already overwhelmed by the words that we sung and praise music is such a ministry, already been incredibly ministered to. Uh, but the point, I think, is as you begin to encounter Jesus, and as Scripture says, when you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, uh, it's so beautiful to be able to see Him in, in everything. And so I really, that's my desire today as well, as we dive into um, some really interesting things in this book about angels blowing trumpets and destruction being released upon earth, uh, you might find yourself um, anxious like a fire drill. Uh, but my desire is to really, even before we get into the text, to, to lay the foundation for what I think the main message is that God wants to communicate, not just in Revelation 8 through 11, but in, in all of Scripture. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach a lot even before we get into the text. But my desire is don't just wait for the text, because I really believe um, everything leading up to Revelation 8, 9, 10, and 11 uh, that we're going to talk about is, is vitally important and is at the very heart of God. So, if you would, please pray with me. Father, I do thank you for your mercy and your grace and how you communicate truth to us in so many ways, um, specifically in the person of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would have a deep encounter with his spirit right now. I thank you for uh, even the words that we sung, and I declare that that myself and these sitting here, we, we have no good apart from you. But in your grace and in your mercy, you saw fit to save, to redeem, to reconcile, and to equip us to minister to each other and to proclaim uh, your glory and your goodness for all time. And so in a very small way, we do that here. Um, and we look forward to the day where we, were, we will do that with uh, absolute purity. And so today, God, I pray that you would truly minister to our hearts and overwhelm us uh, with the reality of your truth and your goodness. Amen. All right, Revelation was written around 96 AD by a man named John. And so this was within uh, 100 years of when Jesus, the Son of God, came and walked the earth. Uh, it's apocalyptic literature. And if you've been with us, you know by now apocalypse does not mean the end of the world. It means to unveil, to uncover, and to reveal. And so in the Bible, apocalypse means that God reveals something to people. And so if God is revealing a truth, God is revealing a reality according to uh, how he sees things, not necessarily according to human perspective. So it would be proper to even say Saul on the road to Damascus when he is knocked off his donkey and blinded and visited by Jesus. And remember the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That would be an apocalyptic moment. That would be an apocalyptic event where God revealed reality to the person Saul. But there's places in Scripture that are described as apocalyptic literature. So this is when an entire section of Scripture um, uses 
uh, oftentimes symbols to communicate ideas. And you've heard me before say, we are looking for, uh, to compare idea with idea, or what is the main point that God is trying to express uh, in here. And so most of these symbols that we find in the book of Revelation are taken from the Old Testament. Basically, Revelation remembers or uses all kinds of symbolism from Old Testament. And so it, uh, at times the author will tell you what one thing symbolizes. So we saw earlier the lampstands symbolized the churches or the stars symbolized messengers of God or angels. In the book of Daniel, which is highly apocalyptic, uh, Daniel has these visions and these dreams, and one scene is these great four beasts, and he's confused of what that means, and so another messenger tells him the four beasts represent four great kings of the earth. So many times it will tell us exactly what it represents, but other times it is assuming a lot of the reader. It assumes that we will connect the dots throughout all of Scripture to understand the meaning in Revelation. Tim Mackey says it this way, Daniel and Revelation are like the deep ends of the pool in the Old and the New Testament. <clears throat> Both books assume a lot of the reader, which is why it is best to be understood by reading the rest of the Bible. There are different ways that Revelation is viewed. Um, you'll see up here, it's a little bit small for you, but I think you might be able to make it out. Uh, there's a lot of different camps through the history of the church, the way that people approach interpreting the book of Revelation. Uh, the first is some people see it predominantly as describing past events, so events that took place in Asia Minor um, 100 years from within uh, Jesus walked the earth, or present events or future events. And a lot of people view it as a little bit of each, where we noticed in the letters to the churches that was written to a specific church at a specific time in a specific place. So we can say, oh, this was written to them, but as we've seen, it is also written for our benefit. So there's certain things that we know are very specific to a church, but the lessons and the ideas and the truth that God is trying to communicate or the thing that God is trying to apocalypse or reveal about himself, we can take today as well where we can often look back in Scripture and say, okay, I understand what it's like to suffer, just like David. Okay, I understand that God is asking me to wake up and be about my father's business, just like the church in Revelation. So one of them has to do with time. The other has to do with, some approach this a little bit more as a code or decoding. So basically, uh, they are looking at these uh, the writing in Revelation, and they're trying to find out what this text, or who it's speaking to exactly, and when it's speaking to them. So, in a sense, the, the goal of reading it that way would be to map out these very specific details to specific events, and those events, again, depending on where you're at in the time deal, it's either events of the past, events of the present, or events of the future. Uh, or, Revelation could be seen a little bit as a lens, Something that uh, you use, the things that God reveals to you, inform how you interpret current events, past events, or future events. And so, regardless, my, my desire is I really think this, this Bible is about God and his desire to be good, to love, and to rescue us as mankind. 
And so I see whether there's a little bit of both, certain things that are past, certain things that are present, certain things that are future, whether some of it's very specific. I really want to keep the main things the main things. And to be honest with you, if I tried to unpack what flying armies of locusts with scorpion tails truly meant, I'd totally be guessing. And I think for a long time we all speculate what that means, and I don't think it's all that helpful. So my desire is to try to communicate, I think, what the heart of God in all this is that we can apply to all generations for all time, as well as give us hope for the future. Lastly, a lot of you are wondering why we haven't talked about the rapture very much when we're in the book of Revelation. The main reason is because Revelation doesn't talk about the rapture hardly at all. Uh, there's really two places that it could be implied that people uh, say Revelation 3.10 and Revelation 4 when John is taken up to the throne room. Those are some things that people say, well, could that mean Revelation? There's other places in the Bible, Matthew 24, 1 Thessalonians 4. I think those are way better texts to give evidence of the rapture. And so there's a lot of us who believe in the rapture. We don't know exactly when it's going to come. Uh, but the whole idea of rapture is when God takes his people up to be with him, and a lot of people believe that's when they are spared from some of what we're going to read today, the judgment of God, the wrath of God, what a lot of people call the tribulation period. So because we haven't been speaking a lot about it does not mean we don't believe in that. Um, I don't understand all of the details, exactly how it's laid out. I just think the book of Revelation, as we're studying it, doesn't talk a lot about it. But if you want to learn a little more or, or give some thought to it, read Matthew 24, read 1 Thessalonians 4. Lastly, here's what I think is important. If we read the book of Revelation and it doesn't produce more adoration to Jesus Christ, we have totally missed it. If we read Revelation and it doesn't promote more love for other people, we have totally missed it. First John helps us when we're trying to discern. It's talking about spirits, but listen to what First John 4, 1 through 3 says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. So when we want to test the effects of a message, of a spirit, of a text, if you want to test it, does it bring glory to Jesus Christ or does it not? That's the litmus test. And he also shares this, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So my desire, and one of, a part of my message, is that regardless of what kind of camp you're in regarding the book of Revelation and the timeline and coding or lens, first, I think you need to check yourself to see, is this producing more love for people and more worship for God? I don't personally believe that one is more faithful than the other. I think all of us who are trying to approach this book with responsibility and with honor and glory to God are doing it as unto the Lord. And if it produces good things that are of God, I'm all for it. All right, let's move on. 
So one thing that I think we're called, uh, Romans says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So I believe you see this theme all throughout the Bible. So if we uh, borrow from Daniel, Daniel 7 is Daniel's vision and Daniel's confused. And then again, someone explains to him what some of the symbolism is. And basically, they are the beasts are these kings who are very worldly, and they are waging war on the saints, but the end is Christ wins. And so the message to Daniel, and you think about the message in our time right now, or the message in the future, is that there is a battle between good and evil that takes place. We live in this age of tension. And so because of that, there's competing forces, correct? But the message is that we battle from a position of victory. The message is that Jesus Christ has won, is winning, and will win in the end. And so because of that, if he desires to unite himself to me, if he desires to redeem, to save, and to take me into him, then no matter what is taking place around me right now in 2023, or no matter what was taking place in Daniel's life, or no matter what is going to take place in the future, I think the hope is still set on the promises and the grace and the mercy and the victory of Jesus Christ. Daniel 11.32 says this. I can't remember if I have this one up here. I'm making Ken work like crazy today. It's up there. Awesome. It says, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. All throughout the uh, Bible, one, we'll do a, I guess we'll do a practice. As a group, we'll, we'll practice symbolism here, okay? And, and, and we'll take an easy one that I think focuses on uh, the person who we ought to focus on. So Jesus, all throughout Revelation, is depicted as what? The Lamb of God. And in this book, he's depicted as a living lamb, but with blood. What's that about? So if we go back and look at the Old Testament, this ought to remind us of the Passover, where because of e the evil of man, there's mistreatment and oppression and in that story, God's people are in total bondage to Pharaoh and to Egypt. And so God says, let my people go that they may worship me. And Pharaoh stiff arms him over and over and over. And so there's plagues that are released. There's judgment from God. There's terror that is released. But what happens? What, what is God's people asked to do? Sacrifice a lamb, cover the door with blood, and the plagues will not harm them. The angel of death who's killing the firstborn will pass over them. They are spared the wrath of God. And so if we stand at the cross, and if we look back into the Old Testament, we will recognize through the lens of the gospel message that Jesus Christ came to spare us from wrath and destruction. If we stand at the cross and we look forward to the book of Revelation, where we are about to talk about the judgment of God being released on mankind, if we see that through the lens of the death 
and resurrection of Jesus, we recognize that he wants to save and spare us from what our evil does to each other and to this world. And so whether it's Exodus or Revelation, wherever we are in time, or 2023 at Rimrock Church, I believe that when we stand at the cross, things begin to make sense, things begin to be understood, whether it's really tricky literature or the story and narrative of your life. Show me the cross and I can find my way. That's the gospel message. That's how we are to approach this book and what we're about to read today. Revelation oftentimes seems like the end of the world, right? But I think it could also be seen as the new beginning. You think about fire causes destruction, and throughout the Bible that's a common theme where fire often causes and is symbolizes destruction, and we're, we'll read a lot of that today. But fire also purifies, and in the Bible it talks a lot about the purification by fire. And so you think about if fire is applied to something that is impure, good and evil right now in this age of tension, what's it do? It consumes and burns up what? The evil or the dross. So the only thing left is beauty. And so I believe Revelation can be seen as God consuming all that is evil so that what is left is beauty. Now if that's the case, that is a message of hope. If that's the case, that's where we hang on to God's promise and his determination to destroy all the things that destroy his world and his people. So again, let's look at the heart of God. You guys hanging in there? We're almost to the text. I want to look at the heart of God, and I think 2 Peter 3, 9 gives us this incredible picture. It says, It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And my experience and observation in my life and in people's life is oftentimes it takes pain to bring me to that point. You either become so desperate that you realize you need saved, or you become so displeased with yourself that you realize you need someone else to stand in the gap for you. Or really, Jesus doesn't have a lot to offer you, right? And so I believe what we see in our life with good and evil, what we will see in the future, I believe what Revelation is talking about, is bringing just judgment into the world so that people would be so desperate and so displeased with evil and terror that started with them that they would turn to the Savior. So repentance leads to salvation. I think that is the heart of God. That is the message of God that he desires to save that he desires to enter into a covenant relationship with you, a relationship of union and partnership so that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The forgiveness and the cleansing, which is oftentimes symbolized as white robes in Revelation, all of that is so that God can use us 
A few weeks ago, Boomer talked about the overlap of heaven and earth. How there's these moments and these spaces and these times where God overlaps. The goodness and the purity of heaven comes to earth and we taste that. And we experience that with each other. We experience that in nature. We experience that in a song. We experience that in events of our relationship. My desire is for us to know that we are the overlap. That you, as a redeemed child of God, you are the overlap. And what we're reading is that culminating to the point in time where now it is all good. Evil is totally dispersed. But some things have to take place first to get, maybe some of us have already come to the end of ourselves. but there's probably a lot of you who have not, and we know there's a lot of people, neighbors, friends, that have not. And so I think God is trying to show us the reality. He's trying to unveil and uncover the fact that he is God and you are not. The fact that he is judge the fact that he is the only hope for salvation and goodness. And so he turns the heat up in a proper and appropriate way. It's honestly just the natural consequences of our evil. And he allows that to move in our life so that we may come to repentance and the fullness of life. Okay, the seven angels and the seven trumpets. All right, we got uh, chapter 8. Or go to the first trumpet, Kent. So you'll see similarities here. We just talked about Pharaoh, um, the plagues, and how these, these plagues come uh, to free God's people so that they may worship him. You'll see a real similar situation here with the trumpets. But in chapter 8, This is the seventh seal. Um, This is when God's people cry out and God hears them. And then these trumpets are blown and the destruction is unleashed. This is very similar to when Israel is crying out to God because of their slavery, because of their bondage. And God hears the prayers of his people and he begins to execute the plagues. Very, very similar theme. So the first trumpet, we're just going to rifle through kind of the main... Uh, tool of destruction and what happens. The first trumpet is blown and there is hail and there's fire and there's blood and it burns up nature. It says trees and grass and the earth. The second trumpet is blown and this is a mountain that is ablaze and it destroys the sea and sea creatures and ships. The third trumpet It's a star blazing like a torch, so you're starting to see the fire theme, correct? And it turns the rivers and the waters into bitter, and people begin to die because of the bitter water. The fourth trumpet is where the heavens, so the sun and the moon and the stars, are darkened. The fifth trumpet, there's a falling star, and there's abyss and smoke. And this is the crazy one where the locust with scorpion power Uh, come to harm people and it says that they can harm people for five months and people long to die but they cannot die the king of this army is called the destroyer and so you're starting to recognize these are some of the most horrific things that you could imagine and it ought to bring people to a place of terror it ought to bring people to a place where all of their resources 
whether it's their influence or whether it's their money or whether it's their charm or whether it's their connection or whether it's their degrees, none of it really matters at this point, would it? Those things can't save you. And so it brings us all to this point where we must face the reality that evil has consequence and evil is judged. The sixth trumpet. This angel, sixth angel, he recruits four other angels, and they're considered riders. And it says, a third of mankind is killed by fire, smoke, and sulfur. And these riders are on horses who have snake tails caused to injure. So we understand and recognize the horror that's described as different and unique as it is. But I suppose you know people or you have had moments in your life that you have longed to die. I suppose that you have heard stories and situations that are so horrific that the things written here have been felt by people who are severely abused or mistreated or forgotten or left or killed. You've seen movies or you've seen documentaries or you've heard real-life stories that represent this amount of evil. Where this kind of thing is very, very real to certain people in certain situations, is it not? And so we live in a point and we live in a time and we have experienced the effects of man choosing to reject God, choosing to not acknowledge God as God, choosing to play God themselves, and the result is violent mistreatment and violent abuse and death. And so this has, in some ways, this has been a typical day of earth from the fall until now. And this is describing what I would say is the culmination of all of those things that enrage God because they destroy his creation, they destroy his earth, they destroy his people. And so we know many times the mercy and the grace of God brings us out of those situations here but the good news that we hold on to is that we understand that one day this isn't an evil, angry God. This is a rescuing God who is for life. This is a God who wants to rid evil. And so in this situation, this horror is unleashed. And look at what the response is in Revelation 9, 20 through 21. This is after all these six trumpets have taken place and all these horrors. It says the rest of mankind, so a third of them are killed, and it says the rest of mankind did not repent from idol worship and their evil acts. So all of this takes place to bring them to a point of despair, and yet still they will not repent. This is the kind of heart that destroys. This is the kind of posture that kills. This is the kind of thing that leads the killer in its loot bondage and those that they kill. God longs for repentance and redemption, but yet we continue to defy his authority and his love and his grace. 
Moving on. Chapter 10. This is about this majestic angel and this scroll. And John hears a voice declare things in heaven. And the messenger says, don't write this down. The mysteries of God will be accomplished. He says, go and take and eat the scroll. And it will be sweet in your mouth and then turn bitter. I have no idea what this means. <laughs> I'm not going to try to describe all of this, but here's, here's my thoughts. That I really believe as we're trying to figure all of this out, this is another place in scripture when God says, you leave the things, the mysteries that you can't figure out to me. You don't need to be too consumed or worried about times and epics and figuring all of this out. You need to trust me and what I have uncovered. You need to trust me and the things that I have made known. You be faithful in those things. And don't try to be smarter than you are. Why is it sweet in his mouth and then bitter? Who knows? Maybe because he's a prophet, and so the message is good, but it is a hard task to communicate truth to the world. The prophets, the people who proclaim God's truth for all time, oftentimes have not been listened to. They proclaim truth and everyone has snubbed them. Or God's even said, here's what I want you to do, by the way, no one's going to listen to you. But do you trust me? Will you do it anyways? Not real sure. Chapter 11. The two witnesses. A lot of this language comes from Daniel and Zechariah. There's a couple different views on, on who these people are or what they represent. Some people think they are Enoch and Elijah. Come back, miracle of God, to proclaim the truth of God's judgment and offer of salvation. Other people think it's the prophets of Israel, so a lot of Old Testament prophets, and his church, us, to continue to proclaim and to teach the joy and the hope and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so regardless of who the two witnesses are, uh, you get a very, very interesting response to them. As they proclaim God, they get killed, and everyone's just still going about in their life. So imagine the word of God being put forth, and people kill them, totally ignore them. In fact, their dead bodies are lying there in Revelation 11. And for, it says for three and a half years, uh, which is another theme, that people are exchanging gifts, having parties, dancing around, making nothing of it. And then the breath of God comes and resurrects these people. And then you get this earthquake. Is that up there yet? All right, we'll just read this one. 11, I can't see that far. 11.13 says, And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. So what you get is in Revelation 9, when the first six trumpets are blown and all this destruction comes, you get people who still do not repent. And this is held up to that as another option, that as earthquake comes and a tenth of the people die, what's the response of some of these people? They are terrified and give glory to God. They finally come to see their place 
in cosmic creation, that they are not God. I want to read a couple things going back to the heart of God and then a response that I think is required of these people and is required of us. I think 2 Peter 3, 7 through 11 grabs a lot of this in a, in a really, in a way that I can understand. It says this. Listen, if you would. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you be in holy conduct and godliness? Jeremiah 32 talks about God entering into covenant with his people. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be good to you and for your sake and your children's sake. It's this great picture of God desiring to love them in an everlasting covenant. I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me and I, God, will rejoice over them to do them good and will faithfully plant them in this land with all of my heart and with all of my soul. In 13.10 it says, But this wicked people who refuse to listen to my words who walk in the stubbornness of their own heart. They have gone after other gods. They have served them. They have bowed down to them. They will be just like these, which is totally worthless. Jeremiah 13, 22 says, If you say in your heart, Why have these things happened to me? It's because of the magnitude of your iniquity. So God's judgment on earth is something that we, starting with my evil heart, brought into this world. And the beauty is God gives us a way out and once again, listen to the heart of God. Jeremiah 13, 17. But if you will not listen to me, my soul will sob in secret for such pride and my eyes will weep bitterly and flow down with tears because the flock of the Lord has been taken captive. So what's the heart of God? It's to do us good. It's to restore his creation. Many of you have heard me say, I think he starts deep within your own heart and soul. And then it begins to work itself out of you into your relationships. And then God promises to restore all of the world so that first his kingdom reigns here and here and then here and then my entire environment. And he says, how does that happen? When we finally recognize that we have no good in and of ourselves. When we finally realize that everyone will give account to God for the way he's lived. And when we come to the great understanding that Jesus Christ has lived on my behalf. Jesus Christ has died on my behalf so that I will never taste the wrath of God that is due me and due this world. 
What have we been saved from? The just wrath of God that when unleashed looks like Revelation 8 and 9 and 10 and 11. Glory be to him that we will never taste that because one day 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus tasted all of it, took on the sin of the world. The wrath of the Father was poured out on the Son so that when we cry out to the Father, he hears us. Because that day he chose not to hear the Son. That's the gospel message. What lays in front of us is a continual heart of repentance and thankfulness. Or we can continue to choose our own way. And if you do not know Jesus Christ, I am telling you, this terror, if you haven't experienced yet, this is written so you wake up and realize that everyone gives account to their creator. And he desperately longs for repentance and salvation so that you too can be the overlap of heaven and earth now and you will reign with him forever. The second trumpet is blown and it's this beautiful declaration of the sovereign reign of God and Jesus Christ and all those who are redeemed. Revelation eleven nineteen says, God's temple in heaven was open and the ark of his covenant was seen. Lastly, 1 John 4, 16 and 17, and we'll wrap up. This will probably be our prayer. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, listen to this, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Amen.
Bless you all. Have a great week. Come join us Wednesday night.